Good morning, good morning. That works well and you hit it the right way. My name is Steve Tanner and I don't get the opportunity to do this every week, but I am so excited about uh, being here with you. We have such a phenomenal staff. Thanks so much for uh, leading us in worship and um, and, and helping us celebrate uh, the Advent season. We're going to continue a new series. We're going to begin a new series this morning, an Advent series, but really looking through the covenants. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis. The first couple chapters, we're going to be looking at a lot of different passages this morning, but hopefully all that point us back to the covenant that we have between our God um, and us. Uh, you know, I hope you did have a good Thanksgiving and holiday season and um, let me adjust this. There we go. That's good. There we go. Um, and uh, you know, the Thanksgiving season is is a wonderful time of celebrating and being with family and friends uh, for most of us. But for some of us, it's a it's a difficult time. Uh, it's a time that we deal with loss and with grief and uh, with loneliness. So, whoever you are today, know this: that Christ is with you. Uh, that he is for you, um, that his promise to you is that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can come to you at any time, at any moment, and we can rest in your presence. Thank you that we can sing the words of scripture, we can sing the hymns of old, and that we know that you are God. And we do pray for those in here, even in this room, that one may not know you or are unclear about their salvation in you, but also those who are hurting and those who are longing for encouragement from others around us. May we be the church um, that encourages one another even today as we leave. God, I pray that you would do a great work today in the reading of your word, and may we be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We pray this in Christ's name, amen and amen. Well, today we celebrate the beginning of Advent, and we're going to be looking at several different passages. Advent means coming. It's a period of preparation for the celebration of the birth of Christ and also for the preparation of the second coming of Christ. Advent is meant to remind us how to live in this time between the already but not yet, between Christ's first coming and his second coming. Advent is a time of waiting and preparing. It's a time of waiting for the day we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, remembering that for most of history, the world was waiting for his birth. It's also a time to prepare our hearts to celebrate through worship, to celebrate the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. These are key moments in our history, key moments to our central Christian faith. It's important for us to celebrate and to prepare our hearts for Jesus' birth so we can approach Christmas this season as Jesus as our primary focus. Easier said than done in our busy, hectic culture, isn't it? I I love that the worship team, you guys, I actually didn't know this, John. I looked on the planning center and I didn't know you guys were gonna sing this song, but I want us to look at uh, the, the words of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. This song is a, per- this hymn is a perfect representation of the church's cry 
during Advent season. I don't know if you caught that, but it says this. O come, O come, Emmanuel, in ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. Here's the second coming. Until the Son of God appear. Then it tells us to rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, God is with us. Shall come to me, O Israel. Why Israel would have sung the song in expectation of Christ's first coming, the church, we now sing this song in remembrance of that first coming, but also in the expectation that he will come again in the future. No one knows the time or the day or the hour, but part of the message today is, will we be prepared? One theologian wrote it this way, we are to live like Jesus is coming back tomorrow, but we are also to be willing to wait for him another 1,000 years. Pretty wild to think about. We are to be watching while we wait. We are to be ready. My wife and I have been getting getting ready uh, for something this past week. Our boys have been gone. They, they are seniors. They were seniors this last year, and they graduated. One went all the way out to Lubbock, Texas. Nothing. One went out to uh, College Station. Uh, I thought I had a few of those, um, which, by the way, had both bad days of football there, so, so sorry about that. And I do see some yellow out there, some Michigan. Doug would be um, embarrassed to be here this morning. I think that's why he's not here, because Ohio State lost, but we won't tell him that. He's listening, by the way. Uh, But anyway, um, we've been anticipating, we've been waiting in hope because they've been gone for five months and they came home. And I actually got somewhat of a front hug from one of my boys. I'm still on a side hug with the other one. We have twins. And, uh, but we've been waiting in hope and waiting in expectation. They've been gone for a while and now they're home. And I just started thinking about the picture of about, about our heavenly father. The scripture says, if our earthly fathers desire to give good gifts to our own children, how much more then does our heavenly father desire to give good gifts to those who love him? And so the picture for you this morning, if you're a believer in Christ, is that God is always waiting. And God is always ready and willing with open arms to receive you. And if you're someone who is not really got into the gospel, or you're someone who does not know Jesus Christ, you're not sure if you died today, you would spend eternity in heaven, know this today, because you'll hear part of the gospel today, that God is waiting for you as well. And there is no sin that you can commit that he will not forgive, and he will not welcome you with open arms. So we're all waiting in hope Over the next four Sundays, we're going to look at how the covenants in Scripture lead us towards Christ. Covenant is a word that describes a formal relationship between two parties who agree to a set of promises so they can work together towards a common goal. One of the most recognizable covenants is the covenant of marriage, working together towards a common goal. A covenant in the ancient world was similar to what we in modern world would call a contract or a treaty or a will. Each covenant establishes the basis of a relationship, conditions for that relationship, promises, and conditions if in that relationship there should be consequences if those conditions were unmet. The language and understanding of the covenants through Scripture provide this skeletal framework of how the whole biblical story holds together. 
as the story of the Bible unfolds, we see God is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping, and covenant-fulfilling God. He establishes covenants with certain people and, and intends that these covenants are the way that God unfolds his redemptive plan. The covenants are the structure of the story that we have. We're going to look at two of these today. The covenant between God and Adam and the covenant between God and Noah. You might also look at it, look at it in this way. The covenant of works and the covenant of grace. So let's look in Genesis 1, 26. We're going to read quite a bit of scripture, so hang with me. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish and over the sea and over the birds and over the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created them both male and female and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And you're going to see that over and over through the scriptures today. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish and over the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is God's part. God provides this world garden as a gift to humanity. And he appoints us or them at the time as divine image bearers who will oversee it. Covenant theology teaches that God initially made a covenant of works with Adam, promising eternal life for obedience and death for disobedience. As we all know the story, Adam Adam failed, Adam sinned, and death entered the human race. God, however, moved to resolve man's dilemma by entering into the covenant of grace through which the problem of sin and death would be overcome. Christ is the ultimate mediator of God's covenant grace. Look with me in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Here's the works. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. In that day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So this is humanity's part, right? This is our part. Humans, we're tasked with the caring for and the cultivating of the garden and to trust God's knowledge of good and evil over our own attempts to define right and wrong. So when we're tempted to do things on our own strength and our own spirit, we have to realize that God's redemptive plan is for us and we simply need to place our trust in his plans and not our own. Humanity fractures the relationship by suspicion that leads to rebellion, which results in exile from the garden into a world where we work, where work and family are as much a blessing as they are a burden. This is the covenant of works. Flip over to chapter 9 if you have your Bibles. If not, it's on the screen. I'm sure you're familiar with this passage 
the passage of Noah and the ark. And it says this, and God blessed Noah and his sons. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand, they are delivered. I love how scripture continues to back itself up. It's repeating a little bit, but in a different light here. It says this, the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. God is giving us giving uh, the commands here to Noah and upon every bird of the heavens and upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand, they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, there it is again, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly to the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with them, Behold, I establish my covenant. Here's the covenant language. Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. Two more verses. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you. Here's the promise that never again shall a flesh be cut off by flesh or be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So this is God's part. God promises that despite humanity's continued tendency towards selfishness and evil, He will not destroy them, nor his world like this ever again. Rather, the earth will become a reliable place where God will work out his purposes to rescue everyone and everything. Let's continue on. In Genesis 9, verses 12 through 17, it says this, And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud. And there's two references here. The bow um, that you would use as a weapon, but the bow we're talking about is the rainbow that God would provide. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. This is why I began the message with reminding you who you are in Christ, that you are a child of God. The Old Testament scriptures still apply to us today. When the bow enters the clouds, I will see it and I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. So this is Noah and creation's part. 
do you see what God requires here? He doesn't require one single thing, does he? He just states his promise and he signs it with a bow. This is the covenant of grace. He says, be fruitful and multiply. It's our stipulation, if you will. Um, It's Adam's and Noah's stipulation that they had before God. For God did not leave us in the dark about his plan. From the moment of the fall, he promised to bring us a Messiah who would save his people from their sins. And he continues to make that promise fulfilled through our generation and the generations to come. God is a covenant-keeping God. So the big question for us today is what is our response? How do the covenants of grace and works affect our lives? I'd like to suggest just three words for you to remember today. They don't rhyme. They don't begin with the same letter. I know a lot of preachers do that. I tried really hard, but I couldn't find it, all right? Three words, wait, prepare, and remember. Write those down. Think about those words, wait. Waiting is not something we do very well in our society, I don't know how many of you got out on Friday. God bless you if you did. Um, And you waited in line as you drove down Broadway and you waited in line at the stores for your great little $4.99 deal or whatever percentage you got off. Um, But you didn't wait very good, right? I've been in those situations. I didn't go this past week, but I've been before and I find myself getting frustrated. Like, "Could could it not be any faster? And we just don't wait very well. We're not very patient people. Um, or if you're at home, like we were yesterday waiting for the Amazon package, which came at like 9.30 at night, by the way, so they're working pretty hard. You know, we don't wait very well uh, in all situations. Um, Some of you are just waiting for the message to be over today, right? For what you have in store next, that next game, that next meal, whatever it might be. Let me ask you a question. What is our rush What's our hurry? An older friend of mine, and I say he's an older friend of mine because he would constantly say things to me like, um, hey, you just need to wait um, because kids really grow up fast. Enjoy the moment because kids grow up fast. And now I'm the guy telling other younger people, hey, kids grow up fast. Enjoy the moment. Don't rush. Don't be pressured. So not about a year ago, um, this gentleman gave me a book. It's entitled The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And I began, to, it took me about a year to finish the book because I was in a hurry, right? Or I wasn't in a hurry, I don't know. Um, and it had four great principles in it. And these principles I love and I hate. Here are the principles. Silence. Sabbath. Rest. Simplicity and slowing. Not real popular words. Um, We're driven people to go, we need to go. We got to get there. Let's go, kids. Let's get ready. Let's get ready. Think how your kids feel, by the way, when they're going, oh, what's going on? We're such in a rush. And the principles in this book, listen, listen to what he said. He said that biblical waiting is not a passive activity but it's demonstrated by an active dependence upon God 
and obedience to God. I love Psalm 40, if you'll put that on the screen for us. Psalm 40 is a wonderful passage, and it reminds us about the waiting that we have to do. Listen to what David says here. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. In our waiting, God renews our strength. Did you know that? The next part of the verse says, he inclined to me. It literally means, excuse me, he gave us, he gave me his ear. Has someone done that for you recently? Like really looked you in the eye and said, how's it going? And then just listen to you. If not, let me ask you to do that to somebody else. Incline your ear to them. There'll be great joy in that. There'll be great reward in that. your, Your strength will be renewed in that. And listen what David goes through here. Next part of the verse says this. He, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me. Go to the next slide, please. He drew me up from the pit of destruction. You may not feel like you're in a pit of destruction today, much like he went through, or out of the miry bog. But the good news of this, here's the good news. It says what? He set my feet upon a rock. There we go. I got a few of you with me. I'll keep preaching. I I mean, I can only do this once a year, so I'll be here all day. He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. I took a picture of that verse. I don't normally do this to my kids because they get enough church, but I, and they get enough gospel from me, maybe not enough, but I sent a picture of this to my son who left for, for Lubbock this morning. He's got a long drive. Hopefully he's not looking at it right now. I'm sure he's listening right now. I also sent him the link to my message, which I'm sure he'll listen to it later. But anyway, as he left, he was like, oh, I'm excited about going back, but I've got a lot of work to do. And I just wanted to remind him, son, you, you need to rest in who God is. It's not your performance that I'm looking for. He called me not too long ago, or I called him not too long ago. I said, how's it going? He goes, dad, my social life is great. And I thought, great, how are the grades, right? <laughs> so on one hand, as a father, I don't want to have this, uh, you know, this uh, evidence of work-based. I want it to be grace-based, but I want him to know that at the end of the day, you are loved no matter what. Do you need to hear that today? That you are loved by God, not based on what you can do for him, but really based on what he's already done for you. It says, he put a new song in my mouth. Verse three, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. When we are patient with the Lord, when we listen to the Lord, guess what? We have a testimony. We have a, way, we have a new song that, the, that, that God will put in our heart. I'm not a singer. You don't want to hear me sing. But we have a new song. And the testimony is that, that others will begin to see that in us. And they too can put their trust in the Lord. When we wait, when we prepare is the next word. Have you ever found yourself just preparing for what's next? Did it happen Thanksgiving? If I could just get through this meal, if I could just get through Thanksgiving, if I could just get through with my in-laws. And uh, you're just 
trying to get through the next and you're not enjoying the moment. The Advent season not only helps us celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, but also the anticipation of him coming again. So here's the question. How do we prepare for the second coming of Christ? 1 John 3, 2 and 3 says this. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, that's the second coming, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. And everyone who hopes, thus hopes in him, purifies himself as he is pure. I love what John Piper said. I I had to kind of figure out, how, how do I explain this? John Piper did it in such a good way. He said, there are three ways to prepare for the second coming of Christ. Number one, pursue being like Christ now. The scripture says, today is the day of salvation. If you're waiting and you've never placed your trust in Christ, today is the day. Don't wait. Today is the day. If you've followed Christ for years and years and years, pursue Christ today so that you're ready for his coming. Number two, ready yourself for suffering. That doesn't sound near as exciting, does it? As believers, we are not promised tomorrow. We live in a culture and a society that is changing so rapidly, isn't it? We live in a culture or society that says there is no absolute truth. Relativism, easy for me to say, <laughs> relativism is everywhere. What's right for you is right for you. As believers, if we believe that Jesus Christ is coming again, not only do we need to be prepared now, we need to be prepared to suffer for the name of Christ. We need to be prepared to stand up for the name of Christ, not in a cold, harsh way, but check this out, in a warm, loving, lending your ear towards another believer, lending your ear to someone who doesn't believe. Not so much worried about their behavior, but who they are as a person. And number three, work faithfully for Christ. Every week we show videos, we give you opportunities to work for Christ, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, to do the things that God has called us to do. I believe the values that we have, excuse me, here at church, worship, mission, and community really play out well when we think about the second coming of Christ. Here's how. We worship to prepare our hearts for his presence in our lives and for his coming. Our mission, our mission is to tell others that he has come and that he is coming again. This is the gospel. We're to be engaged in a community of believers and guess what? To invite others along in that process who do not yet believe. And you've heard this phrase before. If you're new here, we talk about these values and you'll also hear our pastor say, and we do this wherever we live, we work, and we play. John Piper said it this way. If you really want to be like Jesus, 
by seeing him when he comes, you'll pursue being like him now. The final word as we close is the word remember. Remember. As believers, we were reminded this morning in Psalm chapter 40 that God has made with us, the covenant that God has made with us, that he pulls us from the pit in the miry clay, that he is with us, that he'll never leave us or forsake us, that he promises to draw near to us. Guess what? When we draw near to him, if we're not a believer, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's the promise that he will save you. Remember that there's nothing that you can do that Christ will not forgive. His grace is for us. It's not based on what we can do. It's based on what he has already done. I read this this week. See if you can identify with it. When I'm not worthy, he, meaning Christ, deems me worthy. When I feel guilty, he sets me free. When I was an orphan, he calls me a son or a daughter. When I am not lovable, he makes me lovely. When I once was an alien, he now draws me near. When I was an enemy, he is our friend. When I once was a stranger, now I'm a part of a family. Jesus' birth was one that was carefully planned and prophesied from the very beginning. From the beginning of time, Jesus' coming was part of the plan. When God laid laid out the foundation of the world, Jesus was placed as the chief cornerstone. All of this comes from his grace. We have done nothing to deserve it because he has already paid the price. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the great price that you paid on Calvary. Thank you, God, that we can have fellowship with you. Thank you, God, that You do require our lives. But it's not about our works that save us. It's about your grace. God, I pray that what has been said and done in this room today has been honoring to you and encouraging and helpful for the body of Christ. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.